Let's pray this morning. God, you are awesome in power. Jesus, you are mighty and holy. You are the healer. You are the resurrected and ascended one. And we worship you and we praise you as we gather together as your family, as your children, as your people this morning. Open our eyes to your presence here among us as we strive to make ourselves available to your spirit. Work on us now, we pray, as we engage with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. All right, well, we are wrapping up our sermon series, That Easter He Did, and uh, I'll be honest with you, this morning is going to be fun. Uh, It's going to be unique, because uh, we're going to tackle some pretty heavy, uh, pretty heavy stuff. We are going to take a theological look at some really important things that Scripture has to say to us, and so we are going to move also at a very fast pace. Oh, yeah. Get excited. This morning, we are going to be engaging in some heavy, heady, academic, theological work. And so if you're new to this whole Christian thing, if, if, if you're kind of like figuring it out, if you're learning it for the first time, great. Uh, take a deep breath. You'll be okay. Uh, just hang in there. Glean, listen, and learn. And if, if you're someone who's well-established in the faith, if you are someone who has, who has been grounded in the faith for a long time, this is pretty meat and potato stuff. And so as we get into it, this is going to be stuff that you can chew on for the coming weeks. So, so buckle in. Y'all ready? Here we go. You're giving me blank faces. couple nods. Okay. Well, some of you will be okay. All right. Here we go. So over the last two weeks, we've looked at two significant events in the life of Jesus. First off, we looked at Palm Sunday, right? That Easter, he did what? He came on a donkey. Pretty unexpected. He shows up riding in on a donkey. Last week was Easter Sunday. Pretty unexpected. The guy walks out of a tomb. Didn't expect that. Pretty cool. This week, we are going to be tackling a final major event in Christ's earthly ministry. His ascension. Ascension. His rise to power. Okay. Now, ascension is a pretty fancy word. I mean, how many of you have ever actually like used ascension in a word? Oh, I ascended the other day, right? No one really uses it that much. It's a pretty Bible word, but this is basically what it means. It's talking about rising, ascending, or, or more accurately in the Greek, being taken up, taken up. And so when we talk about Christ's ascension, we are talking about Christ's uh, transition from his earthly ministry to uh, heaven. This transitional event that Jesus undergoes and experiences that transitions him from earthly ministry to heaven. It's called the Ascension, and we celebrate it as a church body. But it's pretty heavy stuff. We're going to tackle it this morning. What is going on with the Ascension? Now, I just want to be upfront with you. 1 Timothy talks about our faith in a really honest way. I love this verse. Y'all memorize John 3.16? Try this one. It's a really good one. 1 Timothy 3.16. Without any doubt, the mystery of our religion is great. Well, that's for sure. 
He was ascended, excuse me, he was revealed in flesh, vindicated in spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, and then taken up, ascended, in glory. What I like about this verse and why I want to start here is simply because this verse names that this is kind of confusing stuff. There's a lot of mystery to what we're going to talk about today. I mean, I'm, I'm already talking to you about Jesus Christ transitioning to heaven. That's a mystery, right? I mean, you, you all with me? There's a mis- mystery about our faith that, 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 that really has a big role to play here in the ascension. We're not going to answer all your questions today, but we're going to be able to tease out a couple things that we can learn about the ascension. For example, that it is associated with glory. Did you notice that? Taken up in what? He was taken up in glory. Ooh, that's something we can tease out from the text and begin to see. The ascension, Jesus' transition from earthly ministry to heaven is associated with glory. Even more than that, if we look at the ascension according to the gospel narratives, the gospels are these these books that describe Jesus' life, death, resurrection. This is, in the gospel of Mark, the ascension. This is how it's described. This is how Mark finishes, by the way. Mark 16 So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, them being the disciples, those gathered around him, was taken up, ascended into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. This is a really big and important phrase, the right hand of God. It's one that we as Christians actually use on a fair basis. Uh, Every time you say the Apostles' Creed, Jesus Christ was descended, he descended into hell, he rose again, he ascended and is seated at where? The right hand of God. So what's going on with this phrase, the right hand of God? It's used six different times in the New Testament specifically, the right hand of God. And it's always associated with power, glory, majesty, authority. Make sense? So like if you can picture a king and you sit at the right hand of the king, you're like the number two guy. You're the go-to guy. You're the first mate. You, you, you're the guy that speaks with the authority and, and the power of the king himself. And so when we use this phrase, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, it's telling us that Jesus has risen. He has ascended in terms of power, authority, majesty, and glory. Make sense? Look at this. I mentioned to you in the Apostles' Creed, we, we say it every time, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And then specifically in Psalm 89, it talks about the right hand. Here it says, Psalm 89, verse 13, You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, powerful, mighty. High is your what? Your right hand. So the right hand, according to Scripture and according to culture, is always associated with power, authority, might, and majesty. So the ascension is therefore associated with power, might, authority, and majesty. First uh, Peter is one of the examples. I told you that there's about six different times where this is actually used, this phrase, the right hand of God, is used in the New Testament. Here's one more example for you. It comes out of First Peter 3. Jesus Christ, who has gone where? He's gone into heaven. And where is he doing? What's he doing? He's seated at the right hand of God. 
with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. Okay, we're talking about the ascension, glory, okay? And then also in Hebrews 1. Now, Hebrews is interesting because Hebrews uses this phrase a couple different times. And every time, it's always in connection with Christ's power and authority. Here we go. He is, he, this is Jesus, Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. Ooh, interesting. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down, where? At the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So the way that I would kind of wrap, wrap this up and get you to see is that Christ's ascension, this transition from earthly ministry to heaven, Christ's ascension to the right hand of God is synonymous with his divine glory, power, and authority being fully resumed. I told you this was pretty heavy, heavy stuff. Christ's ascension is associated, it it is synonymous with Christ's resuming his divine glory, power, majesty, and authority. Now note, you're all looking at me like, why you use the word resumed and why is that in italics? Good question. I use the word resumed intentionally and purposefully. Here's why. Because if we go back to John 1, when we go back to John 1, we learn Christ's divinity has always been. Christ's divinity has always been. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the Word became flesh. And it dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. I'm going to reread this, but instead of the word, Word, I'm going to use Jesus. Word is often a title that's given to Jesus in the New Testament. You can find it in Revelations. You find it here. So here we go. Watch this. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. And Jesus became flesh. He lived among us. We've seen his glory. The glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And so when I say Jesus has resumed his, his, his power, his authority, his divinity in its full, I mean, what he's doing is he's resuming the power and authority that he had from the beginning of time. In Philippians 2, we actually find that Jesus empties himself. If you ever got time, here's your homework. Ready? Go home, read Philippians chapter 2. It's awesome. It's a song. It's actually a song. It's called a hymn. It's one of the earliest hymns that we have from Scripture in the New Testament. And and, and it details that that Jesus Christ willingly emptied himself. That's the way it's described in the Greek. He empties himself, takes the form of a slave, becomes obedient to God's will to the point of death on a cross. He's then laid in a tomb. Guess what happens on Easter Sunday? He's raised from the dead. And the hymn finishes with him ascending to power and majesty and glory, resuming his divine fullness. 
I'm hesitant to use the word fullness because I don't want you to think that he retracted his divinity in any way. It's always been there. It's just that, that he chooses to empty himself. This is Christ, the Christ's ascension is him resuming the power, authority, and majesty associated with his divinity. Paul writes Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul. He also writes Ephesians. And Ephesians has a lot to say about the ascension. Check it out. Ephesians 1 says this, God put this power to work in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, where? At the right hand in the heavenly places. There's that, that notion of power and authority. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He has put all things under his feet, and he has made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, which is you. And now check out this last line. Speaking of Jesus, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him who fills all in all. What's going on there? It's kind of a weird phrase. Good question. Put it in your back pocket. The fullness of him who dwells or fills all in all. Put that in your back pocket. We're going to get right back to that because first we're going to go a couple chapters later. So we're going to go three chapters deeper. Check it out in Ephesians 4. Therefore, it is said. This is, this is Paul's big theological statement about the ascension, this transition from earth to heaven. Here's his statement. Therefore, it is said, when he, that is Jesus, ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. Beautiful language, right? Captivity itself a captive. This is kind of like saying he killed death. Come on, that's cool. He killed death. That's awesome. He took captivity itself captive. And now Jesus has used this word captive over and over to describe people that we often feel captive in our lives, bound in our lives. Have you ever felt captive in your life? I bet so. Whether it's by pressures, whether it's by the culture, we often experience captivity. Jesus says in Luke 4, he quotes Isaiah 61, and he says, you know, I've come to proclaim release to the captives. So when Jesus takes captivity captive, he is, he is taking captive that which dominates and controls and keeps us in bondage and in turn frees us, okay? So that's what, that's what Paul is, is, is getting at. He's actually quoting uh, uh, Psalm 68. He's quoting Psalm 68. You can put that on your homework list too. Read Psalm 68. It's great. It's long, but it's good. Okay. Uh, you'll also notice in Ephesians that the latter part, here we go. We didn't read this yet. When it says he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the same as the one who ascended far above all heavens, so that he might fill all things. Two quick notes. First note is, uh, when he's talking about descended into the depths of the earth, uh, we say this, just as we say in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, we also say Jesus descended into... You can say it in church. It's okay. Ready? Jesus descended into where? Hell. Yes, we say he descended into hell. Sometimes we say to the dead. Uh, sometimes we even say there's, there's an Old Testament reference to Sheol, which is, which is a concept of hell in the Old Testament. And so, 
Uh, Jesus, you know, I even say, you know, in a a very literal way, Jesus descended into the depths of the earth. Physically, we laid him descended into a physical tomb, right? Good news. Guess what? Easter Sunday happens. He walks out of the tomb. He is ascending, right? And so this whole process of, of resurrection is this transition to heavenly majesty, power, and authority. Make sense? Okay, a couple of head nods. You're hanging in there. I told you we were going to go fast. I, th- I, just so you know, this is what like seminary's at. Like, imagine four years of this. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, been there, done that. Got the T-shirt. Okay. So here's again. Here's that last part. I want you to draw your attention to the last part of uh, Ephesians 10, so that He might fill all things. This is where it gets pretty heavy, complicated. Divine power and divine authority divine power and divine authority is synonymous also with omnipresence omnipresence how many of you know what omnipresence is great okay pastor bob does that's good okay a couple others all right yeah so omnipresence is a fancy word how many of you ever used it in a sentence yeah none of us right Omnipresence, if you break it in half, means omni, all, and present. It basically means that he is present everywhere. Omnipresence means present everywhere. So when, the, when, when, when Paul and when the Bible is saying Jesus Christ fills all things, what is he saying? That Jesus Christ his transition from earthly ministry to heaven means that he is now transitioning to omnipresence, to being everywhere. That Jesus Christ fills all things and is now omnipresent. This means, the reason this is so cool, the reason this makes a difference in your life, It's because it means that wherever you go, guess what? Jesus goes with you. Why? Because his presence is everywhere. This means when you feel alone in the hospital room and you got the bad diagnosis, guess what? He is with you. This means when you're driving and when you run to the store and your kids are going crazy and you need a moment of patience in your life and we pray and you say, Jesus, please help me. He can hear you. Why? Because he is right there with you. His presence goes with you everywhere because in ascending, he is assuming omnipresence. With divine authority, divine glory, divine majesty, divine power comes divine omnipresence. This is why every week, Pastor Bob and I, we tell you, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. We mean it. Jesus is with you. We're not kidding around. When, when, we, when we take the supper, when we take the meal... We actually believe, this is the mystery part, we actually believe that Jesus Christ is somehow present within these gifts of bread and wine. Why? How? It's a mystery. But this we do know is that he fills all things, and so his presence is with his people. 
a reminder for you, this also helps him fulfill his promise. I mean, he says this. In fact, there are too many verses for me to put up there about how God promises to be with and how God is with his people. There are too many verses for me to put up there that explain God is with his people. But here are two. Matthew 28, I am with you always. That's Jesus. And here's one of my favorites. Psalm 121 says, The Lord is the shadow at your right hand. That's how close he is. He's the shadow at your right hand. How is that possible? Because God's presence fills all things. And Jesus Christ is God. Therefore, Jesus Christ is the shadow at your right hand. Here's, here's the summary according to the Gospel of Mark and, and John. John, we, we haven't been using John. We used it a little bit there. He, John has a lot to say about this. We just don't have time. But here's, here's a synopsis. Christ ascends to the right hand of God, affirming his power, authority, glory, omnipresence, affirming his divinity. Here's how I want you to remember this. Huh? Huh? Come on, Jesus is large and in charge. Come on, we got to say this together. This is too good. This is, when I got this, this was a spirit moment. I laughed out loud when I thought of this. Thank you, Lord, right? So here we go. We're going to say it all together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus is large and in charge. That's right. When you face challenges, when you are situated in moments and circumstances where God feels far away, where you feel forsaken, where where the world is coming against you, remember this. Jesus Christ's ascension means that Jesus is large and in charge of this world and your life. That's what it means. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so cool. The ascension means that Jesus Christ is large and in charge of you and your world. That's good stuff. But we can't finish there. We actually we can't stop here. We've got one more thing that we've got to cover. And that is that we get this understanding from the Gospels of John and Mark. What about Matthew and Luke, the other two Gospels? Good question. Matthew and Luke, or Acts, uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts were written by the same guy. So we just kind of smush it together. Okay? Luke Acts. In fact, when you do like biblical studies, it's often referred to as Luke Acts, like one word. They like made up this word, Luke Acts. Okay? So it's the same concept. Matthew and Luke Acts, what do they have to say about the ascension? They focus, these authors focus on and want us to understand how you interact or connect with the ascension. What does the ascension mean for you? That's what they're concerned about. Check it out in Acts 1, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But you, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. Jesus just before ascending. But you will receive power. 
when the Holy Spirit has to come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up. And the cloud took him out of their sight. That is the ascension. This is arguably the most detailed account of the ascension we have. The emphasis here, the understanding here, is that Jesus Christ is promising you the Holy Spirit. That just as Christ rises in power, so do his followers. So do those who follow Jesus Christ as Lord as their life. You are empowered because of his ascension. He promises to give his followers the Holy Spirit, which he does in Pentecost. It's a fancy word. It happens a couple weeks later. Well, the disciples are all hanging out, and they're praying, and they're doing their disciple thing. And, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit descends upon them, and they are filled with power. And they are sent out then into the world, empowered by the Holy Spirit to give testimony and witness to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers you in your life as you face challenges and difficulties. You Speak with Christ's power and authority through the Holy Spirit. Here's Matthew. Matthew says this. This is Matthew's account. This is the last couple of verses in Matthew. So this is essentially his ascension. Okay? Jesus came and he said to them, All authority, oh, big surprise, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What are you going to do, Jesus, with this authority? Well, I'm going to give it to my disciples, and I'm going to give them a mission. Here it is. Are you ready? Go, therefore, a directive. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And guess what? Oh, that's right. The ascension means, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see... Luke Acts in Matthew has to do with the era of the church, the empowerment of the church. Luke Acts in Matthew wants you to understand that Jesus Christ is large and in charge of your life and this world, so get busy sharing that with others. Jesus Christ is large and in charge of of your world. And because Christ has risen to power, he now empowers you to make an impact in this world for him and for his kingdom. This means you have the power to forgive. You have the power to heal. You have the power to hope. You have the power to make restoration. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you're like, man, there's no way... I can forgive this person. Yes, you can. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do so. You ever been in a situation where you're like, man, we're never going to heal this relationship? Yes, you can. You have been empowered with Jesus Christ's power, authority, to accomplish exactly that. You have been empowered to share with the world the reality that Jesus Christ is large and in charge of our world and our lives. 
Now, I'll be honest with you. I could go on for like another hour, but you'd all be like really angry by that time. So I found a good way that I think wraps all this up. Check it out. Watch the screens. Here's a video that helps kind of encapsulate this whole idea of the ascension. Watch the screens and watch this video. Last Sunday was a party. Last Sunday was a celebration. Last Sunday, we joined together and witnessed the most important event in human history. The resurrection of Jesus. The conquering of the grave. The redemption of creation. But what happens this week is no less amazing. Jesus didn't just rise and ascend. He didn't just come back for the celebration. He came back with a message. He came back with marching orders. He came back to say, now it's your turn. I have done my part in bringing the kingdom. But just as God sent me, now I am sending you. So go everywhere, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Life will still be tough, maybe tougher, but know that through all of this, the trials and the joy, the tears and the laughter, I am with you. Always to the very end. To conclude, we typically pray together. Uh, But what I'm going to do today is I'm going to speak a blessing of empowerment over you. So I invite you to pause and receive this blessing, receive this empowerment, that the Spirit might fall upon this place. May you go forth into this world empowered by the authority, the glory, and the majesty of our risen and resurrected Jesus Christ. May you go forth boldly to proclaim this message that Jesus Christ is alive, well, and on the loose, that Jesus is large and in charge. May you receive the Holy Spirit And by the Spirit, know Christ goes with you wherever you go. That his presence fills all in all. May this be done for the glory of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen.